Let me just go ahead and remind Power Kid parents that uh, Power Kids continues through June, then they take their annual summer break. So it'll be here next week, but be prepared after that. And I want to join with all the leaders of the church and thank all of you, the hundreds of you that helped make Summer Spectacular such a great week. It was an exhausting week, but it was an exhilarating week. And it took hundreds of people. It took volunteers. It took teachers. It took musicians. It took actors. A lot of you have commented on how you enjoyed my wife's performance. I'm bittersweet about that. A lot of you don't know that she was a dancing girl in her former life before I found her and converted her and brought her to the Lord in his ways. And now Miss Patty has taken her back to her former life, and I'm a little concerned about that, but in much prayer. And one of the things we said was that the study of Elijah is not over, it's beginning. And so I'm going to be preaching on the story of Elijah this summer. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings 18, one of the greatest stories in biblical history. As you turn, I tell you the story about a man who always wanted to try to skydive. It was on his bucket list. He finally got ready for the big jump. As he descends from the plane, there's a rush of adrenaline, panic, anxiety. He recognizes he cannot remember what they told him about opening his parachute. He's on a free fall. His mind has gone totally blank. He can't remember what to do. The strangest thing, about 3,000 feet in the air, he passes a man who's coming up from the ground. He shouts to him, do you know how to open a parachute? And the man says, no. Do you know how to light a butane stove? <laughs> and there's a moral. It's a moral that we dads and moms have been telling our kids since they were babies. You don't play with fire. Maybe that's why, more than any other metaphor, fire is used in the Bible to depict God. When God appears to Moses, it's in the form of a burning bush. When the people of Israel gather to meet with God to receive the covenant, it says that God descended on Sinai with fire. When Solomon dedicates the temple and the glory of the Lord descends, it says fire fell from heaven. When Daniel has his vision of the ancient of days, he said he sat on a throne of fire and a river of fire came out from under it. And most of all, in Ezekiel, in his great vision of the heavenlies, he said, I saw one who sat on the throne, only it was as if he were fire. And you don't play with fire. But you can pray with fire. Our God is a consuming fire, the Hebrew writer says. You don't play with God, but you pray to God. And that's how Elijah brought about the only religious revival in the history of the northern kingdom. Those ten tribes had 19 kings. It says of every single one, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But he appeared before the most wicked of all, King Ahab, and said, My God, the true God of Israel... Is not going to send rain to this land because of your hard-heartedness, your refusal to repent and acknowledge his reign. And then God sent him into hiding. And for three years, the land goes through a terrible drought. 
And then I think out of sheer mercy for the land and the people, God says, that's enough. And our story begins. And after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, I want you to imagine if you're living in Israel for three years, and every single day the weather report is the same. Clear skies. Clear skies. Not 10% chance of rain, not 5% chance of rain. Every single day. No clouds. So when Elijah comes back to Israel, the land of his birth, the land of his love, try to imagine how grieved he must have been to see the place. You ever been to a land where there was a drought? I did that one time in Africa, went to Zambia, and there was a terrible drought. And let me tell you something. When you're in a land where there's been a long drought, there are no Kodak moments. Because everything's dead. So he's coming back to Israel, the land he loves, and the land is ravaged. And the stench of death is everywhere. Carcasses are rotting all over the place. And it's tearing his heart. And yet it seems like these terrible conditions have had no impact on the condition of Ahab's heart. He's been looking everywhere for Elijah, sending emissaries to different nations to find him, probably to torture him, to break the curse that's making the God of his new adopted religion look so bad. And so it was courageous for Elijah to obey God and go back to Israel. And it is outrageous what Ahab says to him when they finally meet again. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that... You, you troubler of Israel, I have not made trouble of, of his, for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. That word troubler is the Hebrew word for viper. So Ahab is slurring, insulting the prophet. He's saying, is that you, you snake? And Elijah shoots right back and says, if there's a snake in the grass, it's you, Ahab. You think I'm the problem? Well, I'm saying you're the problem. The rain has ceased Because you have ceased to acknowledge the reign of the true God of Israel. So what we need to do is we need to decide once and for all what the real problem is here. So he calls for this meeting on Carmel. Now please understand, he is not calling for a summit of understanding where everybody gets together and they share their points of view, followed by a nice Q&A session. He's got a clear twofold agenda He wants complete rededication of the people to the worship of Yahweh, the true God of Israel. And he wants a total eradication of Baalism once and for all from the land of Israel. So he says, let's have a duel. And notice, he even proposes they meet on Baal's turf. Remember I told you, Baal's the God that sends rain. So they would build altars up on the hills that were closer to the clouds to be closer to their God. So Elijah says, I'll tell you what, let's get the biggest hill. I will put this battle on your God's 
best field. Let's all meet there at the altar. And let's alter the allegiance of the people once for all in the direction of whoever the winner is. So Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. You see, the prophets are devoted Baalists. But the people, much like people today, were syncretists. They just added Baal to their shelf of gods. And they would just worship whichever god was the flavor of the month. That word, how long will you Waver is the same word that the author is going to use a few verses later when it talks about the prophets of Baal dancing around the altar. So Elijah says, you've been dancing with whatever God you think is hot at the moment. You need to make up your mind. You're like the boy that goes to the party and he wants to flirt with all the girls, but he doesn't want to commit to any of them. And you need to stop it. And notice it says, the people said Nothing. Now, I've preached long enough to know what that means. Now, if people say something, if you're preaching and somebody says, Amen, that either means I agree with you or I think the person sitting next to me needs to pay attention to what you just said. (laughs) But if they say nothing, either they're bored or you've nailed them right between the eyes. And the people of Israel have been nailed. Because they know he's right. They know they have put Baal on the shelf and they've put Yahweh on the shelf. And they just worship whichever one seems to be right at the moment. And Elijah says, let's stop it. It's time to be a nation under one God. So let's stop dancing and start choosing. And I'll even let their side go first. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on wood, but do not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put, wood, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And a God who answers by fire, then he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. You see, that's a fair proposal. Because after all, Baal is supposed to be the God that controls the rain and the God who controls the sun. So starting a fire shouldn't be a problem for him. And he says, you go first. You choose the altar you want. You choose the wood you want. You even choose the bull you want. You go first. Because he doesn't want there to be any questions regarding the impotence of Jezebel's imported religion. Before their very eyes, he wants this fake God exposed. And he wants their foolishness for dancing with a fake God exposed. And he got exactly what he wanted. So Elijah said to the prophet Sabel, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Then call on the name of your God, but do not light that fire. So he took the bull 
and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is a God. Or perhaps he's deep in thought or he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. And midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, I've just got to take a second and comment on how politically incorrect Elijah was. He actually mocked and taunted another god. If you do that today, you will get arrested and charged with a hate crime. But all through the Bible, God has no problem with calling fake gods fake gods. And so he taunts them and he mocks them. What's the matter? Is he asleep? What's the matter? Is he out of town? In fact, that phrase, is he busy, was the Hebrew idiom for going to the bathroom. I mean, he is really letting them have it. Because he wants to expose Baalism for its idiocy. Now, imagine what's going through the minds of the people as they're watching all this. These guys are dancing. They're cutting themselves. They're bleeding. They're screaming. Elijah's taunting. And they're watching all this. And they've got to be thinking... We've been letting these guys be our worship leaders? In the late 1500s in Japan, there was a warlord named Hideyoshi. And he paid 50,000 servants to build a temple to Buddha. It took five years. Imagine what it cost. Big statue inside. And I mean, it has just barely been dedicated. A few weeks later, an earthquake comes. The roof collapses. The temple falls. The statue is crushed. And Hideyoshi is furious. And he takes his bow and he shoots an arrow at the ruins. And he screams, I put you here at great expense. And you can't even take care of your own temple. And that's what the people are feeling. It's time for these guys to get Fired. Baal had his chance. Now it's time for God to do his thing. Now, before we read the next story, which is one of the great stories in the Bible, I want you to notice two things. First, Elijah is going to call for 12 stones to rebuild his altar. Now that's significant because remember, Ahab is the king of the northern tribe. It's just 10 tribes. The tribes have been divided. The other two are at the bottom. What's Elijah doing? He's calling them back to their true spiritual heritage. He's saying, do you remember what God's original goal for this people was? Not two nations worshiping two and more gods. We're supposed to be one nation under one God. And then he's going to say, pour water on it. Pour some more. Pour some more. He's deliberately setting the context for his God to show off and show out. Because nothing's too hard for his God. And after they did it, it was time to pray 
with fire. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to fill two seas of seeds. And he arranged the wood, and he cut the bulls into pieces, and he, he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran down the altar and it even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O oh Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire fell and it burned up the sacrifice and the, the wood and the stone and the saws and it also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah looked to the prophets of Baal and said, scoreboard. (laughs) Suddenly these mouths that would not open can't stay shut. And Elijah is hearing what he's been waiting over three years to hear. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is the God. It was a sweeter sound than the sound of the rain falling and it was the sound heaven had to hear before the heavens were ever going to be open there was only one thing left to do Elijah commanded them seize the prophets of Baal don't let anyone get away and they seized him and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them Now, it is one of the great stories, a defining moment in the history of Israel. But what's it got to do with us today? What are we supposed to learn from this? Minister says he was visiting a church in California and he saw up on the wall this gorgeous banner. It was bright and it said, come Holy Spirit, hallelujah. And it had an emblem of fire underneath. He said, apparently they didn't notice that they put it on a wall right above a fire extinguisher. And I wonder how many churches are unknowingly extinguishing the fire of God that he still wants to send. We're still supposed to pray with fire. So let me tell you three things we need to learn. Number one, I want you to realize God is never outnumbered. This story is not about Elijah. This story is about God. Elijah wasn't intimidated by the size of the other side because he had learned from experience the size of the God on his side. 
It's like the story you may have heard of the man watching the little league game and he sees this little boy in the outfield and he looks up and sees that this boy's team is behind 12 to nothing. He calls out to him. He says, son, are you discouraged? He said, no, I'm not discouraged. We haven't even come up to bat yet. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Why do we dance? Why do we go out with God and then put him on the shelf and do some some other affection? I'll tell you, we feel outnumbered. We get into context in arenas where we feel outnumbered. We got to learn the lesson of Elijah. His mentee, Elisha, a little later is going to be in a city. And the king of Aram is going to try to come and catch him. He surrounds the city with his armies. Elisha's servant is going to say, oh master, what are we going to do? And this is what Elisha is going to say to him in 2 Kings 6. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed, Lord, open his eyes so we may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. If you would pray, God... Start opening my eyes. You would stop doing the dance. And you would never again underestimate what God can do with one totally dedicated life. Because God is never outnumbered. Point number two. Idolatry is never non-troubling. It always creates problems. One of my favorite books about dads is a book called Fatherhood by Bill Cosby. And he tells a story in there of the difference between Father's Day and Mother's Day. He says mothers are much more organized. They go to their kids. They give them a list of things they would like. They say, go get some money from your daddy. And she has a great day. He says, I had five kids. Here's what Father's Day was like at my house. I would give each of my five kids a $20 bill. They would go to the store, they'd buy two packages of underwear, they'd have three pair in each package for $5 each. They'd uh, take the underwear out of the packages, wrap up one pair each to give to me, give the sixth pair to the Salvation Army. On Father's Day, I'm walking around in new underwear, my kids are walking around with $90 of my money. (laughs) And we do God like that. Our Father in Heaven, we give Him a token dance and then we keep the rest for ourselves to spend on what we want see God refuses to be placated by children who want to negotiate deities he won't be treated as an option because you do not play with fire and some of you are in droughts right now and you're wondering what's the problem Who's the problem? Listen to the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 14. Then some of the leaders of Israel visited me. And while they were there, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They've embraced things that lead them into sin. 
Why should I let them ask me anything? So be prepared, friend, the next time you're in a drought saying, God, what's the problem? Why aren't you coming through? Why don't you send some rain for God to say, you want to talk about the problem? Let's start with your misplaced affections. You have idols in your heart and they always bring trouble. And so they've got to be eliminated. It might seem cruel or to us, but Elijah said, you take every single one of these lying, faking peddlers of religion and destroy them because they're cancer. I know this. If you've ever had surgery for cancer, and some of you have, when you come to and that doctor walks in the room, I know what your first question is. Did you get it all? You don't leave room for cancer. You don't leave room for idols. So when Julius Caesar took his troops to Britain, he led them to the cliffs of Dover and had them look over to their shock. Every ship they crossed the channel in was being burned. He knew the key to victory is you burn what's got to be kept in the past. And in Acts 19, when the people in Ephesus come to Christ, it says they took all their old sorcery books, all their old manuals to their false and dark religions, and they made a big pile, and they burned them. If you want the fire of God to descend, you got to burn all your other idols. Idols always bring trouble. Because you see, it's point three. Discipleship is never part-time. The children of Israel never knew what uniform to put on. Because they never committed to be on just one team. And so they danced. And the music's still playing. And the dance is still going on. I don't believe it's... Always Satan's goal to have you totally reject Christianity. I believe his goal is to vaccinate you with just a little taste of Christianity. So that you never catch the real thing. And so I ask you, where are you most tempted to dance? And I'm praying today. That you and I will be delivered from the wimpiness. And I use that word on purpose. I'm praying we will be delivered from the wimpiness of double-mindedness. And if you want a good prayer to start praying, start with Psalm 8611. Give me an undivided That I might fear your name. I pray we raise up a generation. That knows how to pray. Not play. With fire. And I guess today's a good day to say. Dads I believe it starts with you. In no way do I mean to underestimate the power of godly mothering. But study after study after study shows. 
If kids grow up in a home where dad is a part-time believer, the kids rarely become full-time disciples. If you grow up in a home where God is on a shelf and dad pulls him down whenever it's time to dance with God and then puts him back on the shelf, it's rare that those children choose God full-time. This is a good day, dads, for us to recommit to full-time discipleship. I uh, still am touched every time I think about during the first Iraq conflict, the American pilots that were shot down in enemy territory, they were captured by the Iraqis, they were beaten and then put on TV for propaganda purposes their faces were swollen and they were given by the Iraqis this propaganda piece to read to denounce America that they just mumbled with their faces down when suddenly one of those dads looked up went off script just quickly and said honey I love you tell the kids to study hard And what message did he send in just ten words? He was saying, I don't care where I am and I don't care how outnumbered it looks I am. I am a full-time husband. I'm a full-time dad. And nothing changes that. I want to be that man. I think a lot of you do too. So I'm going to pray today, especially for fathers and grandfathers. If I'm talking about you right now, would you mind just standing up, please? And if you're by one of these men, would you just put your hand on them or toward them? Let me pray over them. Father, I pray now in Jesus' name for all these who are standing that their their passion would be rekindled to be filled with the fire of God. There's so much pressure on us today, God, especially as men, to extinguish the fire and to do the dance and to mute our discipleship. And so, Father, increase our courage, our courage to... To lead our families, our children, our grandchildren. Because they know we are sold out for God. We're not playing. And Father, I recognize there are many here who don't have a a dad to look to. I pray for them in those homes. I pray for all these going, even this week, to Royal Family Kids Camp, going to minister to kids who, who can't say, my dad is showing me how to be a Jesus follower. I pray for them. I pray, Father, that our influence is larger than just our immediate homes, especially as men. 
And I pray for the children you've given us to steward, God. Not just our own kids. Even this week, you sent thousands of children into the influence of this church, God. And I pray that we, we can be good stewards of that blessing. And point young hearts towards sold-out following of Jesus. Everything around us, God, in this culture says, Oh, religion, that's a nice game. Play it well. We don't want to play, God. Not with fire. And so, Holy Spirit, renew us today for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all be standing, please. And now we sing our next song. If you would like to embrace Christ in baptism, you can. Let me just say, the music is still playing. And the fake gods are still inviting you to come and dance. Let's give them our answer.